Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Infinite Worlds podcast. I'm your host, Winston Ward, publisher of Infinite Worlds magazine. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Nick the Tooth. How you doing, dude? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. It's a uh, Friday afternoon in Florida, and... Uh, starting to cool off a little bit which is nice what's, so what's cooling off for you what, what temperature is it there today i mean it's probably like 65 70 you know which dude for me all i care about is no more bugs because the last time i got staph infection as a yeah, matter of fact every time i talk to you i have some crazy story right yeah today's high here was 55 so it's only 10 degrees cooler here yeah but that's nice though right any temperature between about 40 and about 70 is like heaven to me anywhere in there because I could just wear different layers. You know, I could put a hoodie uh-huh. on if it's in the put hoodies on if it's in the forties, or you know, just wear like a sleeveless shirt if it's seventy degrees. Yeah, so it's not like freezing where you're just like once it starts getting down like below freezing, which will happen probably next month here or sometime. Like it hasn't even snowed here yet, which is pretty unusual. Usually it snows like halfway through October in Denver, but it hasn't snowed in the city yet. Although it's been pretty cold a couple of times. Uh-huh. Okay, so let's skip all this because we were going to record earlier today, but then you hit me up and told me that you had to delay because you had this thing to take care of. And then you told me all about it and it's a real trip. You <laughs> See, the thing is, man, when I signed up for the simulation, you know, before we got here, I was like, <laughs> I just want to have complete madness and chaos in my iteration <laughs> of the simulation. <laughs> and so the good thing about the podcast is I can always come back and just report something mad just crazy right (laughs) it keeps the podcast you know interesting for people who are you know interested in things just besides the subject matter you know who want to hear the story (laughs) believe me guys you're all gonna want to hear this story it's great so this is this is the story uh of my almost son right that's (laughs) so so what happened winston was i got hit on uh you know i'll get dm'd from people different people people love the show all kind of shit so i've you know sci-fi jujitsu whatever people hit me on instagram and dm me i love it you know but i got a hit like a couple weeks ago probably like three four weeks ago and the question was it was like hey is the name of my dad is that your is that your father? And I was like, yeah. And the guy was like, well, I just took a DNA test and it turns out that that was my grandfather. Oh boy. (laughs) And I went, and I remember I was outside uh, working in the garage and uh, I just stopped. I was like walking through the garage and I stopped and I look at my phone and I just started doing the math. And I was like, okay, what exactly <laughs> does that mean? You took a DNA test that said that my father was your grandfather. And so I was like, uh, does that mean that, you know, because I'm like, you know, my head's kind of spinning no matter what sure. the relationship is. Sure. I'm like, this is wild. Right. And uh, but then I'm like, OK, so does that mean you're my I have a brother that I didn't know about. And he was like, yeah, I was put up for adoption and I'm just looking for my biological parents, specifically my biological father. And so I just kind of started doing the math and I was like, okay, well, if the DNA said that my father was your grandfather, then <laughs> that means that you must you're not my my brother or my you know my half brother or whatever or your cousin like, or my cousin <laughs> you know i was like holy shit that means that you're my son 
And I was like, like wow. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. And then I'm just, my heart's beating and I'm starting to sweat. And I now I start pacing the garage without even realizing it. I'm like kind of looking at the phone. I'm going, oh my gosh. Okay. And this person appears to be like an age that would make sense for them to potentially be your son. Right. Well, yeah, that's what I asked him. I'm <laughs> like, so, you know, what what year were you born? And he was born like the same year, I think a year or two earlier than my daughter. I'm like, well, that freaking makes it work. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So then I'm like going, oh, what? oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I'm kind of pacing around and then I just start like doing the math and I'm like, OK, where were you born, et cetera? Because I don't want to get into too much details. Sure, but I'm sure, like, sure. where were you born? You know, this, this and this. And it turned out where he was born. I'm like, yeah, I've been there. But my brother lived there. <laughs> and so mm. I was like, oh, okay, okay. So then I kind of started calming down. And uh, after like 15 minutes, I, I messaged my brother. I'm like, dude, are you ready for this? <laughs> I hope you're sitting down. Because at this point, dude, you know, I thought that maybe that this was my kid, my son. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and the kid at this point, just to, to let everyone know, the kid is like 25 years old, right? And and he's and he told me right up front, he's like, dude, I am super happy. I had a great family life. I was adopted by a great family. I'm very close with, with my parents. And I was just curious. So he's like, you know, either way. And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, man, I was stoked, you know. Right. I was actually kind of bummed that, that it wasn't my kid. I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, I love being a dad. Yeah, especially so, since in this case, you would have skipped all of the hard part. You know yeah, I mean? Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Didn't have to change any diapers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, so I hit my brother and my brother was like, oh my gosh. So now it's his turn to have a heart attack, which was awesome because I got to just throw this <laughs> on him. And I was so happy. <laughs> I am, I, you know what, man? I am a complete agent of chaos. I love oh, chaos <laughs> and madness, like I said. And so to be able to just totally inflict this on my brother of all people i was just so i mean to have me as an older brother oh god what a nightmare i <laughs> pity him if there's a heaven he's going straight to it because so i was just so full of glee and happiness <laughs> oh so he had like a heart attack. My brother was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, he's having a heart attack. But, you know, then he's like, well, it's my kid, man. I I, I got to love him, you know. And I'm like, well, yeah, he's, you know, he's my nephew. I'm going to love him, too. You know, he's family. So it turned out that I've, I've just been messaging him. My my almost son is what I call him. I tell everybody <laughs> that. I'm like, man, dude, I have an almost son. I don't know anybody else that has an almost son. But for 10 minutes in that garage, I had a son. <laughs> I have no no children of which I am aware. But, uh, oh, you know, they're, they're one of these DMs one day could be like. <laughs> dude, I, you know, what was crazy is I was like, now I know how it, how, you know, being a writer, it's great. Because you're like, oh, one more experience in the books. 
that I could personally call on because now I know what that feels like. And it is like almost like sheer terror mixed with kind of an elation, then kind of like curiosity. It's all this bundle of emotions at once. And so he and I have been uh, my almost son of uh, we text like every day, you know, DM every day. And uh, I follow him and follow his stories. And, you know, he's married. He's doing great. And so he's happy. And uh, but he came into town into Florida. My brother lives here also. Right. It's one of the reasons that uh, that I'm here. And so we went to uh, to lunch with my brother and his younger son, who's like 10, 11, and then my almost son and my brother's son. And so we all went to lunch and it was super cool. And so, you know, it's all good. I mean, you know, you know what the thing where is? Does your, uh, where does your almost son live? My almost son lives now lives in uh, in Utah. Oh, okay. They they did a bit of traveling to come see you guys. Yeah, yeah. So so they flew out, but it was cool. And you know, the the real lesson from that is that everything in life is just how you frame it, right? It's Mm -hmm. all about how you frame it and the context of it. Because one person could say, oh my gosh, that was so devastating for me and to find this out and this and that. And, you know, for me, it was like, man, it's one more cool, weird thing that happened. And now I have someone else in my life that I can talk to and share things with. And you know what I mean? My na- It's my nephew, my almost son. He's really my almost son. So. It's, yeah, it's really a surprise cool. family. Yes, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's it's what's crazy is that, you know, I had this immediate, although I had the joy of being able to just dump this on my brother and to watch him squirm, you know, but uh, I, I was, there was definitely that point where at the same time I was bummed. I was like, man, that sucks. It would have been cool to have one more kid, you know? Right. So, because uh, I definitely don't want it anymore. <laughs> you, can, you, can still, you can still take them under your wing, you know. Yeah. Oh, for it, sure. You know, for emo- sure. emotionally, intellectually speaking. Yeah, no, he's a sweet kid. As, as a role model. Yeah. Well, I don't know if anybody wants me as a role model. I mean, <laughs> oh, you, you stop that. I'm Dude, serious. You, you accomplished so and so. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? If, uh-huh. if you like chaos in your life, then I can be your role model for right. sure. <laughs> Other than that, I don't know about that. So, no, it was cool. Good. Well, that's definitely more interesting than anything that's happened to me this week. I, uh, I'm working on the finishing touches of issue 10 and I went back to the gym after like a month of being a lazy sack of shit <laughs> this week, motivated awesome. in part by uh, the subject of today's episode, because I thought, you know, if we're going to do a predator episode, I needed to be at least as swole as Jesse Ventura. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe I, know, I know I know I'm not going to get to Arnold Schwarzenegger or Carl Weathers in like just one week. But, you know, I thought, you know, aim a little lower, get the Ventura body going on, you know, be the body. So now I look exactly like one of the cast members of Predator after hitting Planet Fitness up for 45 minutes, three days this week. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. That's my attempt at a segue today. Today's subject is the 1987 classic science fiction horror action film predator which again we've been trying to hit up the fan faves lately and i think this definitely qualifies yeah this is such a uh, a unique movie every time i go back and watch this movie i remember i watched it again like about seven eight years ago and i was like 
damn. And I hadn't watched it since the 80s. And I was like, damn, I forgot how kind of mm. crazy that movie was. It was so like, un- I, I felt like it was very, very original, very unexpected. I, I really dug it, man. Me too. And, you know, this was one of those movies that we had as a VHS when I was a kid. So this is one of those movies that I probably watched like half a dozen times in my preteen years, you know, when I was like 10 through 12. So it was definitely one I loved growing up. It came out when I was four, but I probably didn't watch it until I was like 10 or so or eight eight or 10. Yeah. The movie has spawned a bunch of sequels and spinoffs. So it's got a lot of importance in the science fiction world. And besides that, you know, the creature effects, there's a lot to say about this movie. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, getting into this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's what for me, like one of the reasons that I, it was very hard for me to go back on is because, and this could probably be a shock, but I just don't like like very masculine type movies like this. And I had this association with it where I was like, oh, it's very much like Red Dawn. You know what I mean? Where it's oh, yeah, just that's, a, that's another one that we owned as a kid that I watched the wheels off of. But yeah. I, right? Where it's yeah. just this really John Milius. John Milius was the writer-director for Conan and just this real macho conservative, all guns really before it was even a thing yeah before you know, it was before 80s. it was like really proud like in the 80s okay so let's definitely start with the cultural context in the 80s conservatism in america was hitting its boom again you know in the late 1960s about 20 years before this movie was made america had gotten way more liberal it had really toned down a lot of its conservative attitudes there was a ton of regular backlash to like the vietnam war The Vietnam War had become extremely unpopular. By 1970, the Vietnam War was one of the biggest hot button issues in the country. And, you know, we pulled out of that and slowly conservative. Not not only that, though, you had like free love. You had the, the, you know, the sexual revolution. You had civil rights. You had drugs, you know. Women's liberation. Yeah, it was all like, hey, we're going to take the constraints off. And then the constraints started coming back on. Right. You know. And as slowly as, you know, conservatives started gaining a foothold again in American politics, like strongly gaining a foothold, which happened basically because Jimmy Carter's presidency was such a disaster that it allowed Ronald Reagan to be ushered into office, you know, and anybody who thinks Ronald Reagan was a good president, you know, you're welcome to your opinion or whatever, obviously, but he wasn't. He was a terrible president. He uh, took us down a big time borrowing boom, rolled back a whole bunch of corporate restrictions, uh, environmental restrictions. He inflated the economy a whole lot. And we the, the economy did have a boom, but it was really a credit economy. I had a massive deficit when he was the president. That's all really kind of beside the point. The point is that traditional conservative values started making an appearance again. They always had in Hollywood, like even during the 70s, 60s and 70s, you know, you still had your Dirty Harry's, you know, your excessive force cop movies were pretty popular, but they were really considered to be edgy movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Very Tarantino-ish, weird. Yeah. Right. Those kinds of movies in that era were looked at as being like real edgy kind of films. Almost like a grindhouse type of a thing. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But then towards the late 70s, after it became clear that Jimmy Carter wasn't going to serve a second term really, and it was going to be a Reagan White House and the pendulum was going to swing back to the right again, the movie stars started going back to being big masculine movie stars again. And that started kind of like taking a foothold. And the number one person to do it was Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, you know, 
Being Arnold Schwarzenegger's background, he was hot off the heels of Terminator. This came out just a couple years after Terminator. You know, he had also previously been known for playing Conan. You mentioned Conan. So the big machismo, gun-wielding, muscle-bound dude became the heroic archetype again in American society. And one of the movies that absolutely cashed in on it, doubled down on it to the max, was this film. And like you said, yeah, it's hard to look at it because it's such a macho, masculine movie that it's almost kind of cringy. That's what I mean. I, I was like cr- thinking about going back and watching this. I just resisted it forever. Each time I've gone back and watched it, I've been able to kind of, you know, I, I'm kind of like always surprised. I'm like, it's not as, yes, there are those elements of it, you know, like the the great fucking handshake between Carl Weathers and uh, and all Schwarzenegger is just too great, right? When okay, well, Dutch- the movie- Dealing. full of these kinds of moments. And that's why I think it stays so beloved. One of the reasons it stays so beloved is because there were all these moments that were sort of like the pinnacle of cornball class. Like, yeah. the, the, you know what I mean? Like they stand as examples of how fun a movie can be if you let it be cornball. And that's one thing the movie really has going for it. Okay, let's back up a little bit. I, I wanted to mention something. Do you ever watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Oh, of course. Yeah. I can take it in small doses. When I watch like an episode or maybe two episodes every month or a couple of months, I laugh my ass off. If I try to watch more than that, it starts to grate on my nerves because it's just so negative. But I really enjoy it in small bursts. It's really funny if I just watch a little bit at a time. But if you haven't seen it, there's a great scene where Mac and Dennis have a movie night and they always watch Predator every week. Oh, okay. And every time, and finally Dennis is like, can we please watch something? Oh, I rented something. He, he brings home a different movie instead of Predator again from the video store. And Max starts making this big deal about how they can't watch it because the cast doesn't have anywhere near the muscle volume of <laughs> this, you know, yeah. and all this. And it kind of highlights that character, Max, sort of latently homosexual tendencies and points out the latently homoerotic nature of movies like this, like all the steamy, sweaty, muscle-bound men out together in the woods by themselves, yeah. etc. <laughs> but oh my God. personally, I think all of the things we just mentioned, all of the cornball stuff, all the gun-toting macho man stuff, all the clinching high fives and all that stuff serve now after I've kind of gone through my awakening and ha- like being able to see all of these elements for the, what they are. All of those things now really just serve to endear this movie to me because now seeing from what they are, seeing what this movie is and what it was even then, like definitely macho propaganda, 100%. Now I kind of like like it for that reason. Not because I think that it's valuable as a life lesson to people in any way, but because it's just so itself. It's such like an unapologetic, cheesy ass 80s movie where everybody was way over the top macho. Yeah. And and, then for me, I honestly like the things that I like that I cringe away from are very pro-nationalistic movies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. for me, nationalism is the worst form of religion. And so for me- I, like seriously uh, it's the know, worst cult that there is right we're gonna definitely alienate a lot of people from this one but if you guys have listened to 25 or 26 episodes of this already <laughs> you're not you're not gonna be surprised to hear any of us say this but yeah i couldn't agree more like it's you know nationalism is just 
a type of brainwashing. It's a cult, man. And so this doesn't I, I always go back to this and start because I, I get like the mantra thing. And, and you're right. I think it's so funny that I don't. It's like, yeah, it's not that offensive because it's really kind of tongue in cheek. Right. They're almost kind of making fun of it almost. Yeah, almost, almost. And maybe they weren't at the time actually making fun exactly. of it. Exactly. You know, at the time, that's not what they were shooting for. But seeing it through the lens of retrospective history, now it kind of serves that purpose. Oh, they've achieved it. <laughs> it definitely <laughs> sets, it's like so funny. But the whole nationalism thing isn't there. And I love that. You know, you uh, got yeah, the- that's another thing I loved about the rewatching too, is that they're special operatives. They're like hired guns. You know, they don't yeah. work for a government. You know, they're hired by the government to do some covert ops shit, but they are a ragtag group of vigilantes. And not only that, they turn the macho trope on its effing head here because they're taking the most macho guys, right? It, that's mm-hmm. This is what the fucking genius of the movie is, is they're taking the most macho guys in the world. They're all like the greatest at this, this, and this. And they're like, all right, you think you're a badass? Here you go. <laughs> here oh, you yeah. are with your guns and all of your weapons. Let's see how you do here in the jungle. And you're going to go up against the most macho thing of all. And they just get smoked. It's so fucking cool, man. So in that way, I kind of liked it because I was like, it's not nationalistic. And it's not, you know, it's taking those macho tropes and saying, all right, we're going to put you in the blender. So that that's mm-hmm. kind of where I'm coming from, where it was like, okay, so wow. John McTiernan, the director of this movie, did a really good job of avoiding that. You know, and especially in 1987, this movie could have said brought to you by the U.S. Army exactly. during the intro and nobody would have blinked an eye. Yeah. You know, it, when this movie came out, this movie could start with the national anthem and nobody would blink an eye. Because that's the kind of audience this movie was being marketed to. And he didn't. He, he skipped all that. You know what I mean? In fact, most of the Dutch, the main character, kind of has like a what has the government ever done for me kind of attitude. Yeah. You know, throughout the movie. You know what I mean? He's yeah. not a nationalist at all. Well, it makes sense that he's not a nationalist because he's Austrian. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, he obviously is an American now and cares deeply about American politics, was a governor for two terms, and et cetera, et cetera. But like you said, they did not hammer down the nationalist stuff. In fact, if nationalist stuff is really mentioned in the movie, the main characters are too cool for it. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, the the way the first Rambo was like anti-government and right. anti, you know what I mean? And anti-nationalism. My wife had stayed away from First Blood forever because she thought it was like a nationalist movie. And I was like, no, man, it's like the exact opposite of that. And it's like- and this has the same type of, of themes that go through it, you know, with these I characters agree. that are like F the, you know, especially when they get into the plot, when they start realizing that they've been kind of lied to and, you know, where they yeah, really John Rambo is for. the predator, you know what I mean? Almost in a way like, or the yeah. Rambo is, or the, the predator is John Rambo. I never thought about that. That's a great insight. Yeah. It's like they turned first blood into a sci-fi movie, you know, kind of. For sure. Except for John Rambo wasn't looking for trouble. And the predator absolutely is looking for trouble. Okay, so let's let's back up just a touch. If you haven't seen Predator and you're unfamiliar with Predator outside of what the Predator looks like, which I don't know how in the world you would have made it this far without knowing what the Predator looks like. And we will get to that wonderful topic here very shortly. The basic premise of the movie Predator 
is that there are some shenanigans going down in a Central American country. The U.S. government hires some outsider contractor agents to go down there and figure it out. And when they do, they are cut off from society in this jungle and then beset upon by an alien from another world that was brought here to Earth on vacation to sport hunt humans as like a leisure activity. Dude, how rad of a concept <laughs> is that of a setup, <laughs> right? And, and the predator in their culture, you know what I mean? Hunting is like, you know, their whole thing. And they go around looking for the most challenging hunting grounds possible to prove their like metal as hunters, as predators. And nobody's ever seen one of these. Nobody's ever heard of one of these things. And just happens to attack this group of heavily armed, heavily trained, heavily skilled special forces officers and starts picking them off one by one. So in a way, this movie is similar to Alien and Aliens in that it's a monster in a box type scenario. Very much. Monster in a box completely. And for people that don't know that trope, we've talked about it before, but it is what it, it's, it sounds like. It's one of those movies where you get five, six different people from different walks of life and you put them in with a monster. And in this case, the monster is very much an actual monster. He is a giant muscle bound alien creature with gruesome mandibles and a variety of highly advanced weapons and the ability to cloak himself to become nearly invisible to the naked eye. So he's like the ultimate challenge for survival against this crazy cast of characters, which this movie has an awesome cast if you're casting muscle-bound dudes from the 80s. Because <laughs> you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger, who plays the main character Dutch, Carl Weathers, who's Apollo Creed. From Rocky from Rocky and the Rocky films, Bill Duke, who not isn't, you know, later on in his career, Bill Duke did not do a bunch of muscle bound characters, but he sure is ripped as hell in this movie. Professional wrestler, Jesse Ventura, Shane Black and Sonny Landham, who plays Billy in this movie, the native guy. Here's a really great story is the producers can only get insurance to make this film. If they hired a bodyguard for Sonny Landham, not to protect him, but to protect everyone else from him. Why? Because he was known to be a violent asshole who would go off on people for no reason. No way. Way. <laughs> <laughs> what a lunatic. Oh my gosh. He's a lunatic in the movie too. Dude, Shane Black. Oh yeah, Shane Black as Hawkins was a is a great character in this movie. Yeah, screenwriter who wrote Lethal Weapon, like you know one of the biggest action movies that there was. So it's so crazy. He's also written a number of other really great movies too, like The Nice Guys, which I don't know if you've seen that with Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. No, uh -uh. it is fucking hilarious. It's about two really shitty private detectives who kind of run into each other and end up working together because they're la like lacks of talent kind of work well together. But it's really goddamn funny. He also so, wrote uh, Iron Man 3. Yeah, and Iron Man 3. He's like a super successful writer and actor, but he also wrote The Monster Squad, which I also I watched with my wife just the other day, which is a pretty terrific, silly-ass kids movie. All right, here's a bit of trivia. Do you know why they hired Shane Black? Why did they hire Shane Black? So that they could get him while during filming to give 
screenplay notes without having to hire him to be a screenwriter. Is that right? like that? Yep, they hacked the system. They're like, you know what? If we bring him, if we hire him as an actor, then he's he agreed. I'll just give you guys notes and dialogue punch up and all that while we're out in the middle of the uh, of jungle in Mexico. Isn't that crazy? Yes. And uh, Shane Black's character really wanted to wear like a military issue sunglasses in the movie. Mm-hmm. But the director, uh, John McTiernan, insisted that he wear those gigantic, big, like grandma glasses that he's wearing throughout the movie to make him look like a nerd. And I'm, ass- <laughs> and I'm assuming that was because, you know, he was getting the script notes from him. So they wanted to kind of like make that sort of an Easter egg, which is really funny now that I know that I didn't know that. Yeah, so it's it, really, crazy, it, yeah. it really does kind of seem like an Easter egg now that you talk about it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, the the cast of this movie is like, if, if, as far as '80s action heroes and eighty, like even with Shane Black being the '80s freaking action screenwriter, it's nuts. Okay, so this movie was a big success, made almost a hundred million dollars against a relatively small budget. I think it was like eighteen million. 15 to 18, yeah, 18, million. 18 million made a hundred million off of 18 million, which is a great turnaround for, you know, a first franchise film generally reviewed pretty well too. People thought this was a really cool movie. I mean, I, I guess if you're going to talk about the movie, one of the things that you can't not talk about is the fact that the movie almost had a really big star in it and it ended up not having a really big star in it. This movie was supposed to star Jean-Claude Van Damme as the Predator. Yes. Those of you who don't know, it's been a long time since he was famous. But Jean-Claude Van Damme was like a really big martial arts actor from Belgium in like the 80s and 90s. In the 80s, uh, he was massive. He was, he was right, bumping he, up against like uh, Stallone and- uh, Yeah, and, exactly. And, he, was, he was right up there with those guys. And Schwarzenegger. And Schwarzenegger. Yeah. He considered himself as big a star as Schwarzenegger at the time, which might have been true or maybe even bigger. Because, you know, let's at this point, Schwarzenegger had done the Conan movies and Terminator 1 and not a whole lot else. To my, he might have done Commando at this point. Truthfully, like he probably was a bigger star at that time than Schwarzenegger. You know, when watching the movie and uh, one of the things that I actually really love about it is that there is a, con- a movie convention which kind of follows Star Wars where the movie will start with a scene which is indicative of what the movie's going to be about. So the movie Star Wars is about Star Wars, right? And it starts on a ship in the middle of space with a laser battle. And then we enter and we see Darth Vader. And typically they'll, you'll see like the, uh, the villain. And this movie doesn't start like that. Mm-mm. I love what I really dug about this movie is how this movie just starts like with like it's like a military. Yeah, type this movie, movie. has its own, it has a completely independent plot of the Predator plot for the first Yeah, you have no idea what you're hour. getting in. Yeah, for. like there's a half yes. hour of this movie where you genuinely have like it's got its own plot. And in that way, it's like Alien again. And of course I keep coming back to Alien because obviously these days, Alien and Predator are kind of thought of in the same breath often because of the shared franchise in the comics, the video games and the films, you know, they ended up having like a shared universe, Xenomorphs and Predator aliens. But yeah, you're right. And I think that's a really mature screenwriting exhibition is to, you know. Yeah, because they're not spoon feeding us and saying they could have shown so easily the predator 
killing somebody, right? right. Where we yeah. get to see all the different, you know, the technology and the infrared and then them killing them in or the even jungle. A, even a hint then we, at it. Then we cut. Yeah, even, yeah. even a hint at it. They didn't do anything like that. You're absolutely right. That's what I really loved about the movie is I'm like, this movie does the one of the biggest 180s I've ever seen in a movie. Absolutely. Like if no one told you the, the name of this movie, Predator or anything like that, and you were watching it, you'd be like, dude, I'm just watching a war movie. I'm watching the next Rambo. Yeah, you, you would know? think you were watching, you know, Commando or Rambo. or Yeah, absolutely. And especially since Schwarzenegger had started to kind of get that vibe already. Yeah. He did Terminator and then Commando right after that. So he had definitely gotten that guns a-blazing. Vibe, yeah. Yeah, one-lining vibe. Yeah, so this could have been seen like that, and I, and 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 like you're saying, no spoon feeding. That's why I kind of like all the reasons I've given on why I didn't really want to. I've never really wanted to go back and watch the movie, and when I do, I go, "Holy shit, man! This there, this thing is way deeper mm-hmm. than I expected. It's got these unexpected twists. It's kind of funny. It's cornball. It's it's just as weird. You couldn't remake this movie if you tried, and they did try." With Adrian Brody. (laughs) I guess a remake, you know, it's on some other planet with the Predators instead of Earth, but more or less the same thing. They get there and they're beset by Predators. But so anyways, kind of plot wise, I mean, you want to go through that where they go into the jungle. They're trying to rescue like some green bridge, right? Or they're going into it. It's like a rescue mission, right? They're rescuing an ambassador or something like that, I think is what it is. Yeah, that's what it is. It's an ambassador. And they're like, okay, well, why is this guy on Because remember Dutch Schwarzenegger's character is like, well, why is he on the wrong Mm. side of the border there? And they're like, well, it's kind of a a secret mission. You know, it's off the books. And he's kind of like. Oh, U.S. government being fucking idiots again. Okay. Yes, exactly. Corrupt, typical U.S. government, which was cool. And that's pretty much the behavior of all the characters in this movie. All the characters that are like a part of their group are kind of like, we don't give a shit about- Yeah, they're total yeah, renegades. They, they, none of us care about yeah. that at all. We're just out here just being, you know, supreme badasses. Uh-huh. So then when they're in the middle of the jungle, I tell you, one of my favorite scenes in the movie was, you know, it's cruising along on this kind of like a commando-ish kind of thing. And then we see the three uh, like corpses that are just skinned alive and hung upside down in the middle of the jungle. And it's just, just even watching that now, I'm like, holy shit. That's one of my favorite things is because, okay, sometime around that, they go kill a bunch of people. You know what I mean? They go to the village where the ambassador is being held and completely destroy it. Kill all of the enemy combatants there. Schwarzenegger throws a knife into a dude's chest and then apparently improvises the line, stick around. (laughs) Apparently improvised that line, which is one of the all-time best cornball one-liner action movie lines ever. But, you know, so stupid, but so perfect for the time and place. Right. But anyway, they they go commit all this violence and kill all these people. And then they see these corpses hanging in the trees and they're all these like tough guys are like, whoa, bro, that's that's heavy. They didn't just get blown apart with my machine gun. You know, they died some other gnarly way. Yeah, this is like, the this is serious. Like who the F would do this? That was cool. Right. That was really cool because it's like enemy soldiers wouldn't do this. Who in the world would do something like this, you know? So that was <laughs> dope. I was like, oh yeah. I'll tell you who didn't do it. And that was Jean-Claude Van Damme <laughs> because he uh, tried to do some filming for the thing. They had a cost, a different Predator costume for him, but he spent his entire time bitching that it was hot in the costume. 
and that his face wasn't being seen in the movie because, you know, he was such a big star. So they fired him. (laughs) But, you know, ostensibly they fired him because he was too short. I think he's like 5'10". Or something like that. And he's supposed to be the enemy of all these bodybuilders that are all like six foot two. So how tall is Schwarzenegger? Like six foot four or something? Six two. Yeah. yeah, yeah but they're all big, tall fucking yeah. dudes. You know, muscle bound dudes. So if you put them up against Jean-Claude Van Damme, even in a muscle suit, he just wouldn't be that intimidating anyway. Yeah. So they fired him. Yeah, they Go fired ahead. him and they, the director, you know, probably got sick of his bitching, but also realized the villain wasn't working. The Predator right, was wasn't working. working. So they redesigned the whole costume. Yeah, the original Predator kind of looked like an insect type thing. I haven't seen any test footage of it, but I have seen some stills of it. And it's a pretty scary costume too. So it might have worked, but they canned him. So they had to remake the costume anyway, because when they canned him, they hired an actor named Kevin Peter Hall, who's a big muscle bound guy who's also seven foot two. Crazy, right? you like a huge huge guy that would actually make dudes like Schwarzenegger and Jesse Ventura look small in comparison, actually be able to appear intimidating in the same shot with these guys. But when they did that, they also had to redo the suit anyway. So they used that opportunity to create the Predator suit that we're all familiar with now. Yeah. And that was designed by Stan Winston. And Stan Winston had worked with Schwarzenegger on the Terminator. Right. And what's crazy is that working on Terminator and also Aliens with James Cameron, James Cameron mm-hmm. had said he always. And the thing. Oh, yeah. Isn't that crazy? No. So he was saying, so James Cameron passed the comment, man, it'd be so cool to have a villain with mandibles, like those jaw like things. That is that the, right? Yeah. So that's where the inspiration for that came from. It came from James Cameron. Through It came from James Cameron through- Stan Winston. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And so Stan Winston, we've talked about him several times on this show already. He advanced what practical FX and FX makeup could do in the industry by a whole lot. He was what Einstein was to theoretical physics. That's what he was to practical effects makeup. Like took it into the next whole level, like opened the doors to make it more convincing, faster, easier, all of those things. All right. I'm going to go on a little digression. All right. Okay, cool. cool. Last night I was watching Jordorowski's Dune documentary. Yes. Just because I cannot, I'm obsessing since we did the Dune freaking podcast, which just dropped. I'm obsessing over it for some reason. And so I was watching the documentary on Jordorowski's, which is if you haven't, anybody hasn't seen that, go watch that right now because that dude was a fucking lunatic, right? <laughs> I mean, we, we, we when, when we did the first Dune episode, we talked about oh, it. We did, I know. And I had seen it already. And uh, just going back and watching it last night, it's so deep. It's so heavy. But one of the things that I was really struck by was that when he was trying to make, Jodorowsky was trying to make Dune in like 75, 74, th- th- how even practical effects were such in their infancy. You know, this is pre-Star Wars. And so they really were kind of talking about how if he would have been able to pull off what he was trying to pull off, which probably he wouldn't have been able to, it would have been insane. And so the the, the to have someone who was as good at with practical effects as Stan Winston was a mm-hmm, mm-hmm. big deal, man. Yeah, because a big he did, for any movie. 
any movie. Yeah. And right. so for him to pull off Predator, I, I think it's got to be one of the greatest freaking villain characters, whatever aliens that's ever been created. I mean, obviously, I so, right? One of the big reasons for this, we talked about some of the reasons that this movie was successful already. The cast, the sort of like meta humor of it, the fact that it starred all of these big traditionally masculine dudes at the height of traditional masculine America. But in truth, what really, really, really sells this movie is Predator's Mask. The predator face, the prosthetic predator face with the mandibles. Is that crazy or what? Because you don't see it in a lot of the movie. When you start seeing Predator at first, you mostly just see the outline where his cloaking device is on, and you just kind of see him skittering through the trees, you know? And then there are some shot cutaway shots of him like by himself preparing for his next kill or whatever, doing this or that, doing different routines. And you see him taking off his mask here and there, and you get little glimpses of it. But then towards the end of the movie, you get the full on face for a good amount of time on screen, like a a fair amount of time on screen. And that's another thing. That's another thing. The fact that this mask can move with such ease and seem like such a um, organic thing was heavily featured in the movie. You get a lot of the Predator's face and his crazy eyes in the movie. And before this, a lot of those kinds of effects relied really heavily on only appearing on the screen for a very short amount of time while moving like just a second like like just a few frames and then cut to a shot of it not moving and kind of cut all these shots together so my point is that there was a lot of editing work that went along with practical effects to make them seem and feel more realistic up until this time in history up until stan winston and he was able to make this mask which like i say is there are long uncut shots of the face at work and it for the time was kind of heads and shoulders above other effects of the kind. And, you know, we we're talk, we talk about Stan Winston's previous work. We talk about The Thing. We talk about The Fly, which didn't come out until after this, I don't, or maybe came out the same year. And there are other good examples of it. But really, this, in my opinion, and I think it reflects on the success of the film and the franchise it took off, was a new height reached in what they could do with makeup FX. Absolutely. I totally agree. I think it was like one of those pivotal things that, you know, there, you're, we're still, this character was so freaking iconic. We're talking video games, comic books, mm-hmm. sequels, franchise mashups with Alien. I mean, come on. How many franchises have, have just gone wide like that, especially the villain, you know? Not many, not a whole lot. There are like slasher movies that are like where the villain keeps coming back or whatever, but typically those movies tend to be pretty bad after a while, kind of devolve. And in the original Predator franchise, there are only two movies, Predator and Predator 2. And I don't think we should skip Predator 2 in this conversation because it is a highly underrated film. Predator 2 is a also a pretty damn good movie. Obviously not quite as good as Predator. It stops doing the ultra masculine guy and it kind of does another thing that the late 80s brought around, the early 90s brought around, and that was the... Um, aging anti-hero played by Danny Glover in this movie. And that was like a thing that had started coming around around that time. And, you know, it was beginning to be a trope in the middle of the 80s too, but people started wanting heroes that were a little bit more relatable to them. 
Yeah. I wanted to bring up one more thing before we skipped on from, jumped on from number uh, one is that number one, one of the, uh, what's really crazy is that when they took that break in filming and they redesigned the character, um, one of the things that they did, the director did was he cut together all the film during that time, at that time, cut it together and showed it to the studio and the studio was so stoked on it. They were like, holy shit, you're actually pulling this off. People, you have to realize if you haven't worked in, in Hollywood and, and worked on film sets, that um, every freaking movie is like, I hope this works. I hope this works because <laughs> it is so hard to make. You look at how great, great directors with great casts and great budgets make sh- unwatchable films. I mean, it is all such the time. all <laughs> the time. Right. And so he cut it together and they were so stoked on it. They're like, you know what? We're going to give you more money. So they increased the budget. And that's why the third of the, the back third of the film has just more effects and more uh, action and just kind of amps everything up. So it actually ended up, thank you, Jean-Claude Van Damme for, you know, <laughs> hating the suit that you were put in uh, and complaining all the time because it enabled them to up the budget and up the the production value. We talked about that, the budget, the production value, and uh, we've been talking about Stan Winston and, you know, I was just doing a little research here and Predator was nominated for one Oscar and it was for, as you might guess, visual effects. Wow. It lost to inner space. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and if if you could believe that, it lost to no. Inner Space, which is, you know, um, I haven't seen that movie in a really long time, and it is a science fiction movie, so I don't want to just like flat out deny that it could have won Best Visual Effects. It might have better special uh, special effects than I remember, but I'll tell you right now, I have seen the movie, and I don't remember the special effects like I do remember the special effects of Predator. Oh yeah, for sure. Which one has st- stood the test of time? Let's talk about that. Yeah, no doubt. And as far as production and practical effects, the uh, I don't know if you knew this, but the green blood from the Predator, it was from glow sticks. Mm. <laughs> they had to they when they were during filming, they were like they were going to use orange blood and it looks so bad on camera that they were like, you know what, we got to figure something out now. And so they took uh, glow sticks, they broke them open and mixed it with KY jelly. And that's how they came up with the blood for the friggin' Predator. So you can make your own Predator blood. Yeah, that's right. As long as you're willing to sacrifice some of your party favors and sex lube. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Just, you know, then you know, guys. It's not going to come cheap, but you can get your own Predator blood. (laughs) Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. That turned out to be a terrific effect. Yeah. Like that's a big part of the movie is the green blood. Honestly, like one of the things I remember the most about this film is like Predator's awesome green blood. So, you know, accidental things like that are one of the best parts of filmmaking to me. That ended up being like a huge success. It's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. So it was a good one, man. I dug it. I dug it. Yeah. The movie was a a hit. You know what I mean? It made something like 80 something million dollars. Not too bad. So they decided to make a sequel, Predator 2, which came out in 1990. Uh, like we said, started Danny Glover and directed by Stephen Hopkins. And, you know, this one is cool because they switched the setting from the jungle to the urban jungle instead. You know, they put it in the inner city and they had cops, you know, being like the main 
protagonists against the Predator. And that movie ends up is pretty cool, too, y'all. If you haven't seen it, that's a damn good movie. It still stars Kevin Peter Hall as the Predator. It's also got some cool uh, smaller roles by Bill Paxton is in it, you know, and he fits right into that 80s sci-fi film discussion we've been talking about being in aliens and jamaican drug cartels so yeah and there's I mean, also jamaican drug cartels thing, but being <laughs> just completely yeah yeah they're hey look i guess at the time they didn't want to call attention to the real drug cartels that america was actually doing business with so they were yeah. like let's just make a let's not offend any let's not we don't want to get the colombians mad at us right now let's <laughs> let's just have it be jamaican drug cartels that are what are they importing weed? I don't know. I don't know. But whatever they no, I know what they were importing. They were importing cocaine because one of the most iconic scenes from the movie is when that drug kingpin sticks his whole hand into that giant pile of cocaine and like sniffs like a gigantic handful of cocaine before he fights the predator. Well, I tell you, the predators always it's such now looking back, it's such a genre mashup. They're probably like Scarface was huge. Let's yeah, do right. Scarface <laughs> predator. Yeah, let's definitely do a Scarface like rip for sure. But you know, with Jamaican guys. Oh my but gosh. They don't last long. Predator just gets rid of those dudes like right at the beginning. <laughs> does, does not does that's what Predator's about. He's like, oh, yeah, sweet drug cartels. That sounds like a fun thing for me to go do on my weekend. Go oh, kill some dudes. <laughs> and that's what Predator's about, you know, like having a weekend getaway where he goes and like skins a bunch of drug cartel guys. Oh, my gosh. I love it. I mean, it's, if you think about it, it's like such just like step back and go, okay, so the Predator is a – okay, here's, here's a question I have for you on backstory. How – because I don't know the answer to this. How long was the Predator in those – jungles do we know was this was it like hey i'm gonna go take a vacation i'm gonna go to this planet called earth i'm gonna kill some that's the what i picked up for it i can't cite specific facts that lead me to believe this right now uh, and also guys if i'm wrong about this please hit me with the comments for sure dude let me tell you something winston i oftentimes if i can't find backstory on something i'll make shit up for my own story where i'm like oh i think <laughs> i get the idea that predators are like on vacation because I know he's collecting trinkets. That's true, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it is kind of like they're like getaway or whatever. So I don't think they were in the jungle for all that long. You know what I mean? I think they saw that there was all this war in this really isolated place from their spaceships and were like, ooh, there's a good place to go kill people. You know what I mean? We won't get noticed there and we'll be able to go, you know, sport hunt some human beings without people, you know, getting we But, you know, didn't expect Arnold Schwarzenegger to be there and so good at surviving. So, okay, so those are the first two movies. The first movie came out in 87. The second one came out in 1990, three years apart. Both pretty good movies, you know, in my opinion. And then they didn't make another Predator movie until they made Alien versus Predator. And that didn't come out until 2004, so 14 years later. And despite being kind of a bad movie... But also kind of a good movie, you know, in a way. I saw it, yeah. And I don't go in deep for friggin' franchise movies like this. <laughs> um, and this movie is really, really silly, but... Was this the one with the pyramid, where they're in the pyramid and it's a... Uh, or is that... Or is, that is that Requiem? I or can't is remember. that Requiem, I, yeah. Yeah, I think that might be Requiem. Okay. Or no, no, maybe... Okay, the first one takes place in Antarctica, I think. Yeah, it does. The first one takes place in Antarctica. Okay. And like, here's the thing is, those, these movies really reflect the time, that early 2000 action movie with, you know, more CGI than necessary. Although, you know, they still did 
use practical effects. And the movie does have plenty of redeeming qualities too. It does have Bishop from the alien, you know, Lance Hendrickson as Bishop, which is pretty goddamn awesome to me. But um, overall, not a particularly good movie. See, what had, what had happened was, is that Dark Horse Comics pitted Alien versus Predator against one another in like the late 80s in a comic series. Ah. Then they made an arcade game, which is pretty sweet too. And So hold on. I'm going to stop you right there. In the arcade game, you can play as one of the characters, a character who looks just like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? They don't call him Dutch, I don't think. But he looks just like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Maybe, maybe you call him Dutch in the game. I'm pretty sure. I'm looking. I'm looking this up now. I didn't just remember this, guys. I've got a pretty good memory about this stuff, but I can't remember the actual names of characters from Capcom games. Well, I think I think it was in that game that the the description for that character was that he was a cyborg. Oh, okay. That was built to hunt, and that's why there is a conspiracy theory that it's actually that. He is actually the term. Dutch is actually a term. Oh, a term. That makes that's sense. Why looks the, that's why he looks the same and has the Austrian, same Austrian accent. That makes sense. But it also takes place in the <laughs> Wayland Utani universe and they create, um, you know, artificial people all the time in that universe. So maybe he's one of those. I don't know. There's some lore that we don't know. quite all, we don't know all the details to here, y'all. So, no, it's Tangled Web. Oh, the Tangled Webs we weave. I will tell you that I enjoyed playing that game at the arcade when I was a kid. It came out when I was 11. So it was really a a prime time for me to be hitting it up at the arcade. And it was fun. It was fun. But because of that, we ended up with the Alien vs. Predator films, which are, you know, have some cool memorable scenes here and there, but generally aren't particularly good, you know? Yeah, yeah. But then uh, in 2010, a little while after that, they rebooted the Predator franchise with Predators starring Adrian Brody and some other people. And it was... What's the word I'm hunting for? Mediocre, I guess, is what I'd, yeah. Yeah, what I'd say. Forgettable might be another one. Yeah, I thought it was terrible. Not really good. Like, I don't really see the point of them making it. And then they made The Predator not too long ago, in 2018, only three years ago now. And this one I have never seen. I've never seen this movie. But it was directed by Shane. It didn't Shane Black. It was directed by Shane Black. So Shane Black wrote and directed. Sort of took back the reins for the franchise for this. But it looks like a big old failure. But... The budget, I mean, they did 160 million. Yeah, that's actually true of off, all. Off a 90. That's, that's true of pretty much all of the the movies in this franchise, including both Alien versus Predator movies, were hits. You know, it's, at least on paper. You know, I mean, they weren't critically acclaimed or anything, but they were financially successful. So, what we do know is that the Predator face continues to bring audiences to seats. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Like this freaking character. I say. It, it, Stan Winston. I mean, yeah. you just, it's so iconic. It's like every type of freaking media that there is. Yeah. It's not. This movie made $160 million on an $88 million budget. So it made something in the neighborhood of like 72 million bucks. Not bad. Not bad at all. Predators, the Adrian Brody one, made $127 million on a $40 million budget. So also did pretty well. So, you know, I, it makes sense that they keep making them. It's a real bummer that Shane Black is kind of fading into obscurity a little bit, but you know, what can you do? Yeah. You're not going to be able to keep the lethal weapon mentality indefinitely, you know? Well, I, t- I tell you what, I'm really stoked because 
In 2022, they are going to release the next iteration of Predators, mm. and it's called Prey. Mm. And it answers the question that I was just asking, which is, how long was the Predator on Earth? Because this is all about their first uh, journey to Earth. Well, apparently this movie good. has already come out. What? Yeah, apparently. It's saying 2022. Unless there's another one. Well, there is. Oh, this might be a different. This is a different prey. This one is a prequel, which makes sense, right? So let's do it. Let's see when they first got to Earth. And what's, I want to know. I want to be in a room. Like, I think they could do like a podcast oh, it takes, where they're. I, okay. So the, I, I had heard that this was being made, but I didn't know much about it. But this is a, the, the synopsis. A prequel taking place 300 years in the past in the Comanche Nation. So how crazy is yeah, that? So, uh, you know what? I probably will um, want to watch this movie. I mean, no question. Yeah. And this follows a Comanche woman who goes against gender norms and traditions to become a warrior. Mm. So that's cool. Kind of okay. flipping it on its, and it's uh, done face. By Dan and- Trachtenberg, who directed 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is a pretty good movie. I don't no, know I like that movie. Yeah, I like it. that. It's movie. more of a psychological thriller than anything else. But uh, no, it's dope. It's, yeah. pretty, it's a pretty cool movie. I like Ten Cloverfield Lane more than I like Cloverfield. Oh, me too. Yeah, by far. Yeah. So by you know. Uh, so I got high hopes for this. We'll see. Yeah, I'm stoked. Yeah, he, that was a really good movie, man. Mm. I really enjoyed that at the end. Oh, that movie got good. I think we've just about covered this topic pretty well i think at this point one thing i really wanted to say is that i think if you're talking about predator at length you need to say and that is i ain't got time to bleed (laughs) (laughs) because that's the best line ever written by anyone ever (laughs) if you're a macho guy that's what you need to say when you just get stabbed like i ain't got time to bleed that's right up there with pain don't hurt like it's like it's just like one of those lines from an 80s movie where you're like what? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and from the original, stick around, right? Stick around. Stick around. <laughs> okay. This was fun. Yeah. This is fun. I don't know what we're going to do next, but uh, hopefully it's something that we can do lightheartedly like we did this one. I, I enjoyed that about this episode. Yeah, this one was really cool for sure. And guys, if you haven't, if you haven't seen the 1987 Predator or 1990s Predator 2 lately, give them a rewatch. They're pretty good. I guarantee you, you will smile. Pretty good. So Pretty good. Okay. All right, brother. All right, man. That was awesome, man. Glad we did it. Until next time. Talk to you next time, dude. Late. Guys, if you're enjoying the Infinite Worlds podcast, you could definitely check out more Infinite Worlds related stuff by visiting our website, infiniteworldsmagazine.com. There you can subscribe to Infinite Worlds Magazine. It's a full-color, ad-free science fiction magazine featuring stories, comics, and illustrations from creators all over the world. You can also sign up to our mailing list. You can follow us on Instagram at Infinite Worlds Magazine or on Twitter at IWSciFiMag. Also, you can find Nick the Tooth on Instagram at Nick the Tooth and follow his wild escapades. Theme song was written by Christopher Whitaker and our podcast is produced by Andrew Alonzo. Thank you.